Welcome, everyone, once more to Monster Dear Monster, a multimedia monster podcast. I'm your host for the evening, Cameron, and as always, I'm joined by the illustrious Dave. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. And, of course, we could never forget him, our beautiful co-host, Leonard. Leonard, how are you today, mate? I'm doing great. Good. That's the kind of confidence I love to hear in your voice. <laughs> you, you've only convinced yourself, Leonard. Yep, yep. I have to every every single day, every single yeah. ten to ten shift. I need to remind myself that I'm doing just oh. fine. You can make it. You can I, do it, buddy. We believe I, I, in you. I, I, I will. I will make it, and I will get that credit. <laughs> God damn it, because I've earned it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alrighty, well, that is great. Tonight, dear listeners, we'll be diving into the delightful tales of Clark Ashton Smith, a contemporary of H.P. Lovecraft's. Uh, but before we delve into the spooky and the eldritch for the evening, we have to start with something a little more uh, non-Western in tradition. Let's start the show off with fabulous Yokai of the Week. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> so this is Yoga of the Week. I mean, I'll go over it just for the people who haven't been paying attention for the last year or so. Um, basically, we have a big, lovely list of uh, yokai, Japanese monsters and ghosts and spooky spirits of sorts. And we roll a dice implement, some kind of random number generator, and we pick from the list. This week we'll be covering B and C. Uh, mostly because they are both fairly short categories on our list. So, Leonard, you're the game master here. Get Dave doing his thing. All right, Dave, roll him. Ah. Alrighty. Three. Three. Two. Three. Ooh. Okay, this might be... It's own page. Yes. It's not a Tsukumogami again. <laughs> okay, so today we're looking at the Bakasori, uh, which literally means ghost sandal, <laughs> which is pretty good. Best kind. Is the, is the woodcut of it riding a horse or a dog or something? <laughs> There's an interesting image. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. A, a um, fun- funky dragon? Yeah. Funky dragon dog thing. It's a bit weird. Um, Anyway, the Bakizori is described as a wandering sandal with two arms and two legs, but only one eye. He is said to spook inhabited households during the night, running around and continuously chanting, Kararin, Kororin, Kankororin, Manago Mitsu Nihanimai, which translates to Kararin, Kororin, Kankororin, two eyes, three eyes, and two teeth. Most possibly, he's mocking his more noble cousins, the famous Geta, uh, which are the sandals with the blocks on the bottom, I believe. Ah, uh, uh, yes. yes. And those are their two teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, would one of you like to cover the background section? Have at it, Leonard. This has minimal oh. Japanese. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, design model of the... Baki Zori may have been Zori, traditional sandals made of braided rice straw. The beginning, uh, uh, the being, Baki Zori, belongs to a special group of yokai called, uh, really, minimum Japanese, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Tsukuomogami? Sukumogami, yep. yeah. If you just break them yep. down into little pieces, it's easier. Uh, artifact demons. Oh, well, that's an, uh, yeah. actually legitimately interesting. According to Japanese folklore, households are like repair tools. Oh, okay. household... Wait. No, wait, <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's, no, that's just that's, broken English right there. That's a bad, that's a bad <laughs> sentence. I'm just realizing that now. Um, <laughs> but I'll stick with it. Households are like repair tools kitchen appliances 
and even clothes of any kind which eventually come to life and receive their own consciousness when ignored or neglected for a long time. Mostly after a hundred years. Pre-100 years, you still got non-sentient yeah. sapient clothing. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bakasazori uh, are said to be normally harmless to humans, but can start to rip or pester them. Their motivation oh. is bored. Yeah, yeah, right? I know, I know. Um, stick with me here. Their mo- motivation is boredom and frustration, or simply revenge and jealousy. <laughs> Most yeah. Bakuzori group up with other animated household <laughs> stuff or clothes, or they simply leave home and run away. Oh, man. I want to see the oh. D&D party breakdown of the different household appliances. And, and also, also, I just had a thought that maybe mm. the thing that it's riding in that woodcut is in fact a rat. Oh, that makes more sense. Oh, that's creepier now. <laughs> some some uh, long boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this little sandal goblin though that just runs around mocking like more esteemed looking footwear. Yeah. <laughs> just a regular night on the town. Um well yeah, Leonard, yeah. while you while you were suffering through that, I took the took the time to look up um additional lore. Uh, oh good. <clears throat> so here we go. Bakizori. Translation. The ghost Zori, which we already <laughs> we already discussed yes, here. Ghost okay. Uh, appearance. When straw sandals known as Zori have been mistreated and forgotten by their owners, they are, they can transform into sandal yokai called Bakizori. So they're angry ghosts. Mm. Um, these sandal-shaped yeah. yokai sprout <laughs> arms and legs from their bodies and a single large eye in their centers. They run about the house at night, causing mischief and making noise. Bakizori have a favorite chant, which is our... Uh, yeah. Our favorite. Yeah, it's a little, little lengthy. Um, the three eyes refer to, refer to the three holes where the sandal straps are attached, and the teeth too, uh, of course, are the uh, wooden clogs on the underside of the Japanese sandals. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest of the words uh, are an onomatopoeia, as we've found with many other yokai yeah. uh, of <laughs> zori clacking along a hard surface. Ah, oh, yeah, I can see that. Um, and that, that's it, that. actually. So it's nothing... <laughs> not a lot. Not, not a lot extra. Uh, it's kind of just reaffirming um, dear old Wikipedia. Uh, yeah. So it, in this in this case, um, it's trustworthy. <laughs> can, yeah. Can we, yeah. Can, can we, can we also, also just uh, address the fact that it likes to team up with other animate household <laughs> items? I <laughs> Want to see that D and D party? Get on it. <laughs> well, well, they've they've made a movie, <laughs> Brave right. Little Toaster. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh man, I don't. Know. I really like this for some reason, and I'm not sure why. Because it's just a creepy little sandal goblin, but between it like riding the rat and this description of partying up with the other mistreated household objects it's really endearing <laughs> yeah he does look pretty cute <laughs> just just yeah. chilling there <laughs> and it, and he doesn't oh, have right. like people limbs they're like animal no animal looking yeah enough. they're fuzzy, weird like fuzzy little mouse yeah. arms and legs <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maybe it's just, uh, maybe a, I don't know, a mouse got into a Zori one day and ran around the house, and that's where this started. <laughs> got stuck to its back. It's who knows? running around. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> and I do like how it has little ears. Mm, yeah, it's got a whole little yeah. face and everything going on. <laughs> Except for they didn't draw the one single eye. That's odd. Nope. Yeah. No, he's got two eyes in this. It looks like, kind of, maybe hard to tell <laughs> oh, yokai are well, weird anyway. yeah that's basic that's this entire segment is yokai are really yep. weird guys yeah um yeah but uh that's been yokai of the week da, 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 da. i have to do everything myself apparently <laughs> yeah I, I did i did the first one <laughs> that's fair that's fair 
Um, <laughs> so, as I said, at the start of the show, tonight we will be looking at some short stories by Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, born in January, born on January thirteenth, eighteen ninety-three, he was a self-educated American poet, sculptor, painter, and author of fantasy, horror, and science fiction short stories. Um, he is one of, or is I should should say, was one of the big three of Weird Tales, the magazine that published a lot of uh, Lovecraft's works. But apparently, some readers objected to his morbidness and violation of pulp traditions. Um, L. Sprague de Camp said of him that nobody since Poe has so loved a well-rotted corpse (laughs) which I mean I guess I don't remember that many rotten corpses in Poe but I guess there are a few (laughs) Uh, um, he was friends with Lovecraft until Lovecraft's death um, and sort of shares that extremely rich purple prose in a lot of his works. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so um, each of us tonight has chosen a different short story to cover. Um, I've chosen The Beast of Averon. Averon? I can't pronounce French things very well. Um, <laughs> Dave, what did you choose? <laughs> I've chosen The Maker of Gargoyles, um, which is set also in Averon, so we'll butcher it in our own way. Hooray. Uh, and Leonard? I've uh, selected the Abominations of Yondo. Excellent. From Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes. Yes. Really? yes. <laughs> I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. It, 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 go, it, go, it goes real sideways after he dies in space. Spoilers. Spoilers for that, that two-year-old oh, man. movie. Yeah. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> Ruining. Oh, Jeez. look. If they haven't seen it by now, they might not be going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I'll start off seeing as I'm hosting. Um, so I'm, I read, I'm, I was say I am reading. No, I've read it before the, <laughs> my research. Um, I read The Beast of Averon, 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 <laughs> who knows? Um, and it's sort of this three-part depiction of this eldritch horror haunting a sort of small town or village and local abbey uh, and is written from three different perspectives so the first section is written by brother Jerome one of the monks at the local Catholic monastery um, and he describes that everything went wrong when this big red comet just came and overhead and just hung in the sky and didn't leave and no one thought that was super weird for a while <laughs> which <laughs> I mean, that, that's your first sign that something's gone wrong is every night the same comet is back just hovering above the town. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> nah, it's fine. The universe, fine. mysterious ways, it's... it's <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very gingy. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, no one needs to worry about this comet, this stalker it's comet fine. at all. It's <laughs> fine. It's just... A bright red flaming comet, comet uh, that looks like Satan's rutilant hair. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, but Brother Jerome describes that um, because he's sinful and unworthy, he was the first person to spot the beast uh, because he broke the rule uh, which forbids you from eating during a one day's journey away from the monastery. Uh, basically, went to deliver a message and then someone offered him a snack and he was like, oh, I guess. Um, had some wine, had some food. On the way home, he sees this weird light in the forest, and maybe he thought he was much closer to the abbey. Uh, and it turned out to be sort of this changing color, this very pale light that was occasionally, you know, pale, sickly white, sometimes a deep red or sometimes green, sort of just in the forest. And then he saw the thing. Um, it's just, you know as sort of an abomination of heads and limbs that were not those of any creature wrought by by God. Um, <laughs> the basics. It's sort of this, the basics. You know, it's, it's, a, it's as high as a tall man. It sort of sways like this boneless serpent. Uh, it has a big round black head on a snakishly long neck uh, and two tiny lidless eyes that glow hot as coals in a wizard's brazier. Uh, set no, <laughs> set set low and near together the noseless uh, mouth. 
which Excellent. has these bat-like teeth. Bloodborne pretty... Part One. Yeah, it's pretty Bloodborne. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, um, and you know, he he does the rational thing and runs away. Uh, and when he gets back late to the monastery, everyone's just, "Oh, you're back late, lazy bones." Oh, that's your excuse. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and uh, they did find something weird, though. They found a stag which had been killed in a very unusual manner, um, which is its back had been flayed open and all the uh, spinal tissue had been sucked out of the vertebrae, but nothing else had been touched. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, pretty creepy. And no one knew how to exactly uh, <laughs> accredit that to anything or anyone. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, yeah, and you know, it just kind of kept happening, you know, the comet sort of gets brighter and closer over time, uh, horses and oxes and cows and pigs start turning up dead in the same fashion. Um, at first it didn't attack living people, it actually dug up graves and attempted to eat them and then got really mad and pulverized the corpses because only fresh spinal juice is good apparently um <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's the sequel that nobody asked for spinal juice man that's oh. not gonna that's not gonna <laughs> that's not gonna turn out well uh yeah <laughs> is that a Beetlejuice sequel or is that a spinal tap sequel i'm not sure you know what it's Why up to both? it's up to the listener to decide <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, and once it realized it couldn't eat corpses, it went, well, no, clearly I have to take the living people. So, no, it starts with a pair of charcoal burners and then just continually keeps killing people. Um, <laughs> only at night. It's never out during the day and very few people see it. Um, the abbot of the abbey sort of calls Brother Jerome because, you know, he's the one person who's seen this thing so far. And the abbot is very very unhappy about all this he's very stressed he's you know losing weight getting gaunt flagellating himself all the time um <laughs> and you know it got to the point where uh the abbot jerome and six others chose for their hardihood just run out of the abbey with a whole bunch of crosses torches holy water and everything they search all these caves um they search the ruined castle fasses flams which is rumored to be haunted by vampires uh, but didn't find anything either. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, just for most of the summer, this monster rampages around and around and around. Um, and soon after writing these notes, apparently, Brother Drone was found dead in his cell, his body in the same condition um, as all the other victims. Uh, the second part is a letter from Theophile, the abbot of um, the abbey, to Sister Therese, which is a a nun who lives nearby who's also his actual sister um <laughs> yeah I know awkward um they just both went into the church I guess um but Theophile is really disturbed by all this because now the creature is being more apparent you know people are seeing it around he's not uh, Jerome is no longer the only witness uh people have seen it in the abbey uh it's been attacking people in the abbey and this has been weighing so heavily on the abbot that he can't stay up properly and do his normal prayers and do his normal thing of, you know, I only sleep four hours because I need to pray for two hours before and two hours after, that kind of thing. Uh, no, he just, he's so stressed he gets into his room and falls asleep immediately and doesn't wake up until morning. Uh, no matter what he does, you know, he strews thistles and thorns all over, his, all over his room's floor and he still just passes out the second he gets into his room, that kind of thing. Um... And basically, it gets to the point where everyone except him has seen the monster. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it crawls up the abbey walls, it goes around in the forest, um, it even just shows up in the chapel of the abbey, makes profane signs and utterings at all the monks, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and the abbot believes that God has abandoned him and the abbey. This monster is haunting their, you know, their holy, their holy place, and it's just slaughtering people left and right and there's apparently nothing they can do about it um, and that is the second part of the story the final part is the story of Luc de Chardronnier uh, who is a local warlock or wizard <laughs> um, and basically the the local government gets to the point where it's like no no someone has to take care of this 
we know you do some weird stuff. We're not going to ask about the demons in the rings or anything like that. If you kill this monster, you will have future pardons and immunity to any kind of inquisition or anything, which sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, as a you know, as an occult practitioner in the in the presumably like fourteen to fifteen hundred time setting of this, um, <laughs> basically uh, he asks a demon in a ring uh, which he has what the creature is and finds out that it is sort of this star spawn creature that came with the comet uh, and d- 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 and it only occasionally takes tangible like physical form like the rest of the time it's just almost non-existent because it's, it's in hiding basically and that's when it's gone during the day uh, and he prepares all these kinds of things he prepares this powder uh, to sort of trap it and kill it and gets a couple of men-at-arms and heads out to the abbey one night uh, and actually doesn't go in the abbey but sits outside the abbot's window uh, out out against the wall of the abbey waiting for the creature to come back from its nightly haunting of the forest and the local town and crawl back towards the abbey because it seems to like that spot for some reason. Uh, again, it's the same creature. It's that weird, big, round, black face, bat mouth little burning eyes, no nose, big long neck, creepy amalgamation of limbs and heads going on. Uh, It jumps on one of the armsmen, uh, and just in time, Luke sort of covers it with the powder, which sort of binds it and restricts it, and turns it back into the form of the abbot. Oh no. Terrible. (laughs) Um, He was the monster all along, which sort of became obvious in the second part of the story when he's like, every night I fall asleep, I'm the only one who hasn't seen the monster. Um, but, you know, it's still <laughs> it's still quite effective. Um, there's, there's just sort of a throw-off line here, which is, um, instead of travelling f- from the town to the abbey by the road, you can take a more direct way through the werewolf-haunted forest. I'm like, you're not going to tell me anything more about that? You just have to throw away a descriptor for the forest? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the castle was vampire-haunted, but there weren't no vampires. <laughs> yeah, true, I guess. No, well, that was rumoured to be vampire-haunted. This is explicitly werewolf-haunted by the words of narration, apparently, by, like, the local occultists who should know about those things. Um, <laughs> more reliable but, narrator. Yeah, I guess. Um, but, yeah, anyway, this, this wizard, this warlock, binds the creature back into the human form, it assumed, and it turns out the um, the grand idea is this is some eldritch being from beyond human comprehension as always and it came with the comet and during the day it can't be in a physical form it has to hide somewhere and so it inhabited the body of the abbot and the reason he's been so ill uh, during the day is because it's been slowly reshaping him into something more like its physical form Um, and of course at night it transforms him back into its actual form and heads out and does all kinds of terrible things with its terrible hunger for spinal juice for whatever reason that's never fully explained um <laughs> it's just spooky no one wants their spine juiced no one wants this sponge. <laughs> oh man um you know sort of um the wizard swears the two men at arms to secrecy and they have to explain a dead abbot away uh which they explain it with the beast got past it somehow snuck into his room and grabbed him and then jumped out the window with him and the shock must have killed him oh no um (laughs) rather than oh yeah no he was the terrible monster we threw this monster powder on him and he just died (laughs) it's like throwing salt on a snail or something I don't know (laughs) but he just it it literally just like shrivels up into the abbot and dies it's a little anticlimactic in a way like like the, the the main pull of this narrative isn't like the cut and thrust of action and combat or anything it's you know the the detail the way the, the sort of prose that kind of thing and I, I really liked the short story uh, personally um, I think it was really interestingly written like writing from three different people's memoirs basically um, which are ostensibly locked in a box to never be opened until everyone involved was dead because you shouldn't bring that kind of thing up. It's not polite, basically. Um, <laughs> um, and I think it's an interesting creature. Like It's Lovecraft in the way it's never fully described. We're like, oh, God, the limbs and the heads and whatever, and here's what one of the heads and the neck look like. And I think it was interesting. Like, you know, there's lots of, lots of things you can surmise about. Like, maybe it's not a comet. Maybe it's a spaceship 
of some kind. This mm. might not be like an elder god. It seems to just be some kind of alien, perhaps. You know, I liked the idea of it inhabiting someone. Kind of, it's it's a very thing-like story, almost. Yeah, that's what that reminded me yeah. of. Um, it would be interesting to see. Uh, I guess at this point, it would be um, almost a fan fiction, but uh, the these events, but from the creature's point of view, like we got with the thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, Although these you know, are it, all it, public domain, so I guess someone can just <laughs> write whatever they want. Yeah, someone can just do it if they want. Um, a lot of these stories we looked at potentially choosing have been like variant endings written by other people and stuff, but this one is, as far as I can tell, the original by Clark Ashton, Ashton Smith. Um, yeah, this is the first version from June 18th, 1932, rejected by Weird Tales. Um, I'm not sure why it was rejected. It's quite good. Uh, maybe it's a bit gory for them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, I, I quite liked it. It it had an interesting monster, if although one not super well explained. And it, for me, it had a really good sense of setting. Like, you know, it was well described. You, I could feel like, I feel I, rather, I felt like I could imagine where everything was. Like, here's the abbey. There's sort of a winding road to Perignon, the actual town. Uh, there's you know a Coventry of nuns, you know, slightly past the town. There are these charcoal burners out in the woods, there's this old castle hanging around, that kind of stuff. It had a very good sense of place. There's the and werewolf was, forest. There was the <laughs> werewolf forest, which they never explained. Where's my werewolf forest explanation? Um, <laughs> my only gripe, really, with the story. <laughs> um, and it's not as bogged down a writing style as Lovecraft. Like Lovecraft leans, leans, leans into the purple prose a lot. Yes. And Smith does a lot as well, but it feels a little lighter, I think, is probably the best way to say it. Like, it's a little more... The words he chooses are maybe a little more easily suited than ours. Not as heavy all the time. It's There are a lot of words, but they are... It's, it's a little more effective, more I think. It's, it's a little more effective. Using yeah. it um, you know, as, like, a modifier versus, like, the entire brush to paint the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but yeah, that was uh, The Beast of Aveyron Aveyron by Clark Ashton Smith. Um, uh, yeah, it's a great little short story. If you're at all interested, I definitely suggest you read it. It's a super quick read. It's like half an hour to an hour, depending on how long you take. Um, obviously, that's the oh God, that's a pointless sentence if I've ever said one. <laughs> It'll take this amount of time, depending on how long you take. Uh, uh. <laughs> But it wow. could be like an hour, you know. Yeah. If you just yeah, really want to, if you want to really want to wade through that uh, prose. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> which of you would like to go next? I guess we haven't really established a set order uh, here. Let's have Leonard go just in case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I covered. Uh, covered. Yes, I covered. I was in wars. You know, I covered the the <laughs> abominations <laughs> of Yondo. <laughs> yes, for for time, um, and let me tell you, Yondo's not great. Um, yeah. So the uh, abominations of Yondo is is another uh, uh, CAS because I'm down with the mm-hmm. kids and like to abbreviate. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. Short story uh, with an unknown narrator who. Uh, seem to get into some trouble with uh, um, some priests. Now, here's the thing. There's, uh, it, th- this, there's not really a setting established. Does mm-hmm. uh, anyone know if this is, like, uh, maybe, like, Hyborion adjacent? You know, that whole Conan pre-Pangea? Uh, uh, it, uh, I believe so. He's also friends with um, uh, Robert Howard. Yes, okay. That that makes sense because it's uh, it's uh, very pre ancient uh, and mm. really feels like that. But uh, the abominations of Yondo chronicles uh, uh, an unknown narrator who got into some uh, trouble with uh, the let me see the uh, priests of the lion headed god Ong uh, and was okay. tortured mercilessly. Um, and then uh, given his freedom on the edge of the desert of Yondo. 
he was given uh, some some coarse bread and some uh, some rank water, and uh, Yondo is apparently a. <laughs> Yondo is apparently a um, uh, <laughs> um, this kind of weird, nearly Bermuda Triangle uh, desert hellscape mm. uh, okay. where there's just monsters all over, and it's 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 legendary. So uh, the narrator, uh, let's see. Uh, actually enters Yondo through this this forest of uh, really gross, um, lumpy uh, cacti that uh, house mm. blind vipers. Uh, what? And, yes. Blind vipers? Blind vipers. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and also uh, corpse... Colored insects that smell even worse than they look when you step on them. Wow. Don't step um, on them. Why are you stepping on the coarse-colored insects? Stepping on the weird, creepy bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Probably to avoid the cactus filled with blind vipers. That is true. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, so uh, Yondo, uh, the the narrator enters Yondo proper uh, and mm. um, uh, does a little. Does a little bit of exploring, getting his footing in the landscape. It, Yondo's uh, d- uh, vast desert with a scarlet sky. The s- sun burns down. Uh, there are odd mountains that are spherical. Uh, most of them appear to just be uh, meteorites that crashed into the desert and then sunk into the sand. Uh, but mm. the narrator uh, uh, comes to a lake and says, hey, I bet this water in this horrible, cursed desert is perfectly fine to drink. <laughs> and, then, as, and, and then as soon as he puts his hands in, he's like, ouch, it's acid because I didn't pay any attention to all these salt pillars around oh, this God. lake. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> uh, almost Im- immediately, uh, from 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 a cave near the lake, uh, he hears a chuckling, and of course, being being suddenly a smart man, uh, hides behind some rocks as a creature emerges from a cave, and it's described as as thus: uh, it had a pale, hairless, egg-shaped body, large as a. Uh, l- Mm. large as that of a gravid she-goat, and this body was mounted on nine long, wavering legs with many flanges, like the legs of some enormous spider. The creature ran past me to the water's edge. I saw that there were no eyes in its oddly sloping face, but two knife-like ears rose high above its head, and a thin, wrinkled snout hung down across its mouth, whose flabby lips parted in that eternal chuckle, revealing rows of bat teeth. Um, wow. He likes those bat teeth, don't he? He does yeah. like ba- <laughs> he like those bat does. teeth. Um, uh, and and uh, and that horrible horrible little uh, monster buddy uh, drinks the water just fine, and our narrator, once again becoming a smart man, just runs off. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's, uh, I, 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 I hope you're, you're sensing a theme with this, this character because he does a lot of running off. Um, Bad. he eventually, I blame him. well, he's still alive. So yeah. <laughs> um, he eventually, uh, let's see. He eventually, uh, comes across another hiding spot in the desert, uh, and hears a woman scream and turns around and sees uh, a woman buried half, uh, halfway, uh, her body half buried in the sand, reaching towards him imploringly. And he jumps to her side and touches her. And uh, it's a marble statue. Uh, and and That's then. Very and then, kingdom death right there. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um. 
uh, and startled by the fact that it is in fact not a real lady but a statue lady uh he he runs again just in time to hear the woman uh, a woman's scream yet again so we get that oh kind of really bizarre spooky like oh wait where's where where is that horrible mm. woman woman scream yeah. mm. um <laughs> and uh uh he encounters mm, Sima encounters another creature who, uh, picking up on his his uh, proclivity for running, uh, begins to chase him. But he only ever sees its shadow. Um, it's actually mm. he actually describes it like this: uh, I perceived a singular shadow that ran pace by pace with my own. This shadow was not the shadow of a man nor ape nor any known beast. The head was too grotesquely elongated, the squat body too gibbous, and I was unable to determine whether the shadow possessed five legs or whether what appeared to be the fifth was merely a tail. Um, (laughs) Or... (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, So, he runs from the shadow... Because we've got a big coward as our narrator, uh, and yep. eventually uh, uh, stumbles across a, a a a circle of unbroken columns, and as soon as he mm-hmm. enters it, the creature lets out a sound of anger or disappointment uh, because it can't mm. enter the unbroken circle because. Yondo is a place of horrors and magic, and it just so happens that he's got, uh, he's found a uh, a bonfire in in, in the <laughs> pillar, and uh, uh, takes about an hour or so to rest. Uh, meanwhile, the 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 shadowy creature that we he once again is never described other than its shadow. So there's a part of me yeah. that wonders if it's even actually visible or if it just manifests as as a shadow which is Mm, 10 times more creepy um uh eventually leaves but with its leaving comes night and uh the narrator describes the 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 sun as being swallowed by a miasma of darkness (laughs) as it sets um, and the narrator eventually leaves the col- uh, the circle column because he is unsure whether or not its protection would be uh, would uh, extend to any of the creatures that come out at night. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, so night is upon us, and the and he is accosted. Mm, not really accosted, but more uh, a- ignored by mm. a, a a a tall man in full chainmail uh, at, that approaches him, uh, clanging uh, and and noisy, uh, and its armor is brass and just mottled, uh, and mm. coiling horns and serrated combs rose high above its head and mm. uh eventually he notices that there's no face underneath that helmet just mm. just empty edges just a <laughs> just a living piece of armor uh, uh, that that passes him by uh, and pays him absolutely no attention um but finally uh the second apparition um really is is uh is the show showstopper uh mm. for the story uh let i will just read it verbatim uh striding with incredible strides and halting when it loomed almost upon me in the red twilight the monstrous mummy of some ancient king still crowned with untarnished gold but turning my gaze to a visage uh my vi- uh, gaze to a visage more than time or the worm had wasted. Broken swathings flapped about the skeleton legs, and above the crown that was set with sapphires and orange rubies, 
A black something swayed and nodded horribly. Before an instant, I did not dream what it was. Then, in its middle, two oblique and scarlet eyes opened and glowed like hellish coals. And the uh, and two ophidian fangs glittered in an ape-like mouth. A squat, furless, shapeless head on a neck of disproportionate extent leaned unspeakably down and whispered in the mummy's ear. Then, with one stride, the titanic lynch took half the distance between us, and from out, out of the folds of the tat, uh, tattered seared cloth, a gaunt arm rose, and a fleshless t- and fleshless taloned fingers laden with glo- uh, glowering gems reached out and fumbled for my throat. Mm, uh, that's... So pretty creepy. <laughs> that's um. So yeah, a horrible demon puppeted mummy, which is really yeah, what that that sounds like. Uh, just tries to choke him to death, uh, and and yeah. the narrator says that's too much. That's I no sir no more desert <laughs> desert of Yondo for me and. Runs back exactly the way he came uh, to his, uh, inevitably to his his previous tormentors, which uh, Mm. uh, seems to be an M.O. of theirs, which is to torture somebody, release them into the desert, show them, hey, that the torture's actually not bad, so you're going to run back to us and let us torture (laughs) you some more. Which is just there's yeah this this yeah this this story does not get a happy ending uh, for no no. but it's 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 a nice little journey through this uh, awful hellscape that is giant egg spider yeah just 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 it's a bad place Yondo's not a not a great spot. Um, no. but I really, li- I really like, I really like, uh, this story because of how much they, they front, uh, they load it with just different monsters. It's not, it's not mm. a, it's not yeah. a single thing. It's almost like it, you could almost imagine this being like some weird found footage documentary kind of thing <laughs> based on the location. Like, oh, we found this desert, and oh no, there are all these horrible things, and look at all of our horrible monsters. Um, mm, yeah. B- but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Fan? I'm a big fan <laughs> of the abominations <laughs> of Beyond Words. Yeah, I know. That sounds really I'll good. get them. I'll I want to I'll read them one day. <laughs> yeah, and you it's you know it's a real yeah, and it's a super super short short story that is really just loaded with like this place sucks, but I I it's better than torture maybe maybe so, right so, <laughs> spoilers it's 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 not better than torture Yondo not better than torture. <laughs> Make your next go holiday on the, on the Sandy Tours brochure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that was pretty great. I really want to read that one now. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. And Dave, do you want to you wanna take it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, uh, the torch has been passed. Um so I covered The Maker of Gargoyles. Uh, this was first published in 1932 in Weird Tales. So Weird Tales accepted this one. They did not um, mm-hmm. decline it. <laughs> did not reject it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like with Cameron's Tale, this is also set in Averon, um, as are mm. like seven to ten other stories. He, he, he created he this... Um, medieval France. <laughs> he does, and he made his <laughs> own version of it um mm. so it's not a real place but it's theoretically based upon uh, a real province yeah but um again uh, as with um the, the previous tale this one is exceedingly um souls bornian 
Um, <laughs> I, I, after reading these, I honestly think that some of this may have had potentially more um, impact on Dark Souls and Bloodborne than um, Lovecraft. Mm. Uh, it just okay. it, it's all in the the setting. Um, mm. A lot of the imagery. Um, I guess I'll, I'll I, I've I've made a few um, excerpts from the the story because they <clears throat> they fit right in. Um, so. The Maker of Gargoyles. This is set in uh, 1138 in a the, the principal town of Yvonne, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, they decided to spell that one uh, strangely, but um, yeah, or I guess fr- Frenchly. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's the tale of a stone carver, um, Blaise Reynard. Um, who's been contracted by the church, or I guess, yeah, I guess it's the church. He's, he's set to, um, I think a two year contract to build up, um, the, or no, a three year contract to build up a cathedral, um, and supply it with ornamentation. Um, however, he, he specifically, um, builds these two gargoyles. Uh, there are others, mm. uh, attached to the church or attached to the cathedral, um, but they were like outsourced. They, they were potentially built there first, and they, I guess there was just some spots to build more gargoyles. It doesn't um, explain it, but uh, oh, uh, I think it was the expense. Um, mm. The his his work is so um, good that they couldn't afford him to do all of the gargoyles. So they had to contract okay, those out yeah. to like lesser craftsmen. <laughs> so I guess you got your um, your two uh, representational pieces, and then just kind of don't look at the other ones. <laughs> the other ones are in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. These are the these are the front and foremost gargoyles. <laughs> yeah, they um, they occupy. Um, well, here's yeah. I'll just read this because uh, it just. I don't know. It's very evocative. The two gargoyles were perched on the opposite corners of a high tower of the cathedral. Uh, One was a snarling, murderous, cat-headed monster uh, with retracted lips revealing formidable fangs. Um, It had the claws and wings of a griffin, uh, and it was posed to swoop down uh, upon its upon its potential victims um, in the city. Uh, Its companion was a horned satyr with. It says vans, but I guess that's bat wings. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. such as it might roam the nether caverns with sharp, clenching talons and a look of a satanically brooding lust, as if it were gloating above the helpless object of its unclean desire. Um, both figures were complete, okay. even to the hindquarters, and were not mere conventional adjuncts of the roof, so they were um, independent. They weren't attached to the, um, I guess, the buttresses mm. of the tower. Um, but that totally, aside from, I guess, the specific design of the, the gargoyles, um, having the two of them perched on the tower, uh, to me, reads as the gargoyle boss fight in Dark Souls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can definitely feel that one. Um, and then this part is, uh, I guess, super interesting. So the, uh, is it Reynard? Uh, our, yes, Blaze mm. Reynard, our, um... <laughs> craftsman uh, is a little point of view of him reflecting on his uh, work uh, he would not have said and perhaps would not even have known that in one of the gargoyles he had imprisoned all of his festering rancor all of his answering spleen and hatred toward the people of <laughs> Vion, who had always hated him and he had set okay. the image of this rancor to peer venomously down forever uh, from a lofty place and perhaps he would not have mm. even dreamt that the second gargoyle he had somehow expressed his own dour and satyr-like passion for the girl Nicolette, a passion that had brought him back to the detested city of his youth after years of wandering, a passion singularly tenacious of one object and differing in this regard from the ordinary lusts of a nature so brutal as Renard's. So this is not a good dude. <laughs> he's no, uh, he's he kind of a, a jerk. He made a hate gargoyle. He made a hate gargoyle and a stalker gargoyle. Yeah, what one would think that the church knowing about this guy would not <laughs> was he literally like the only stone mason in town? He was the best. Okay, his stuff was so <laughs> yeah. good, and um, they, I mean they just wanted some really spooky gargoyles, and he could do the job. Yeah, 
You've got to put the fear of God into those people. Um, <laughs> well, what they did was put the fear of the devil <laughs> into the people. True. Um, True. <laughs> because w- what happens is uh, a few, I don't know if it's weeks or months, the, the time, um, I think it's the same in a lot of Clark Ashton's work, is that time is sort of nebulous. Um, it isn't large stretches of time just kind of pass and they don't really bother to like explain mm. how long it's been between events um could be a few nights could be a week and, uh, the stuff that goes on and just kind of like skips over it um i guess yeah. that may be yeah. my one complaint um but that does make it a little bit more dreamy i guess as, as far as a, mm. a, a, a fantastic setting um but so there are um, murders begin to happen um, in, the, in the little city. Uh, and you would think, I guess, based upon tropes, um, that the people being murdered were um, particularly uh, hated by, uh, by Renard, but it's not the case. They're just random dudes just getting slaughtered. Um, mm. it doesn't, doesn't, none of them have anything directly to do with Renard, uh, his, well, I mean, I guess if he's so angry at the town in general, then anyone's potentially fair game. Um, I guess you could read it, read it that way. So one of the gargoyles, the, the Griffin like one is, um, uh, roaming about the city at night and just like crushing people's heads, um, Mm. slaughtering mm. them um, they're they're like living and it describes them not being made of stone when they're running about doing their mischief at night um, mm. so that's that's kind of interesting um, it doesn't have them tr- doesn't show any kind of like transformation they're just suddenly just running about uh, without any explanation yeah. I guess just how he do um, mm. <laughs> but the, the, this, uh, this of course, um, has incensed the, the town people and, um, they form mobs to try to track down what's killing everybody. Um, but mm. e- even this part is, um, armed with holy water and aspergillus, which I, I couldn't, it's a mold. I don't know what they actually have. <laughs> like it's a, a fungus. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't. I I I, I totally what was like it again? An asper- aspergillus. I googled this like extensively and could only find mold. I think it's I think it's the thing where it's it's like a little handheld sensor, but you that, flick it and it flicks the holy water. Maybe yeah, and that's what I I thought it probably was because when you when you look up what the mold is, it's like a, a spherical spore shape. Yeah, that's so probably what it is. That's what I'm thinking it is. It's like a sensor. Like the the, mm. the round ones. Um, yeah, yeah. Or I guess they're sort of teardrop shaped. But yeah, no yeah. matter what I looked, I couldn't find that word attached to anything that was an object. Um anyway. Uh oh, what one one thing, Dave? Can yeah. can can we can we just confirm that that Disney's gargoyles was in fact inspired by this show? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> and by show I mean story because because words and 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 images are the same thing in my head apparently now it's it's <laughs> that's how good I am at narrating this it's like a movie it it's 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 a word picture Dave every time <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, many of the townspeople they're carrying torches staves and halberds um and they're basically just mobbing around the town um at night trying to find the culprit of these murders cuz no one's like one dude saw it of course and um everyone else has just been killed like that were attacked there's no other survivors mm. of these specific attacks they're just finding the bodies um and uh to i guess add um, insult to injury um there's another passage that the demon invaded the high nave through the open door, extinguished all the candles with one flap of its sooty wings, and dragged down no less than three of the officiating priests to an unholy death in the darkness. So it's attacking like the clergy. Um, nobody yeah. can't even just be chilling in the uh, cathedral. 
um, <laughs> which makes sense because they're on top of the cathedral, so they're probably yeah, yeah they're already there. They're already <laughs> they've already been sanctified. They can do what they want. <laughs> um, however, um, that that is the the violent one. The <laughs> mm. the satyr like gargoyle um, is we, we find uh, rolling about town and peeping on ladies. He just doesn't doesn't physically attack anybody um but he just peeks in the windows mm. and grins and giggles um i guess like that spooky spider <laughs> just chuckles yes, in the darkness yeah. <laughs> um so he's we got a peeping tom and uh a, a murderer a murderer buddy um <laughs> but they um the women feel that it's looking for someone in particular um or I guess mm. the townsfolk feel that way. It doesn't really explain who. Um, and yeah. we come to find that he's looking for one Nicolette, uh, of course, because uh, that's who mm. Renard is obsessed with. Um, and so it basically turns out uh, that Renard is sort of, uh, he's a bit of a lush. Um, he he spends most of his time when he's not carving things, um, which I guess is minimal because he's already completed the two things he was contracted to do. Um, and he just hangs out in the bar that Nicolette uh, is a waitress at and her father owns, so it's like a family establishment. Um, and mm-hmm. the the establishment itself doesn't, like, they accept his uh, presence. Like, they know that he's kind of a... Like, I guess the hatred that he feels toward the town is sort of earned. Um, or I guess it just maybe became created that way. People don't like him. <laughs> um, they, his, he, has, uh, he has the dark and saturnine features of a, a devil worshiper, apparently. <laughs> okay. So he's got sure. that slicked back hair and little mustache. Um, <laughs> uh, the little goatee. Yeah, the little goatee. And uh, people just don't like his, his countenance. Um, and he's mm. uh, like potentially a raging drunk um, when he's not working. So he's, of course, doing nothing to endear anyone to <clears throat> his presence. But um, they tolerate it because he spends um, a considerable amount of his... Uh, not undo wealth uh, on wine. Um, mm. So he's just keeping the plates afloat uh, and being a jerk about it. <laughs> just <laughs> like an entitled uh, bastard. Um, of course, so he's he's uh, chilling in this tavern and um, uh, what do we have but one Raul Copan is a, a newcomer in the neighborhood and is sweet mm. on Nicolette and unfortunately, or I guess... Well, no, it's all unfortunate. Um, Nicolette is paying most of her attention to uh, this young dude and not Renard. Um, and that, that makes Renard angry, and he, he like, debates getting up and fighting Raul. And, but he can see that there's a mm-hmm. bunch of other people in the tavern that are kind of, like, side-eyeing him. Um, so maybe if he starts something, uh, they'll finish it because <laughs> everyone's upset with him. Just in on in general, mm. um, yeah, yeah, and he keeps drinking and decides to just he's just gonna go for it. He's gonna beat up Raúl and then kidnap Nicolette. It's like this guy's a pretty shady dude. Nobody should like him. He's not a likable protagonist, and he's not even really the protagonist. Mm. He's just kind of the the, <laughs> the impetus for all these events. Uh, he's it's not being narrated by him, and he's just a fixture in the story. Um, sort of the linchpin, I guess, to, to all this <laughs> murder and uh, horrible things that happen. But um, his anger is not to be sated. And as he's getting up to go fight uh, Raul, uh, two, two, uh, two somethings burst in through the window and start murdering everybody in the tavern and then accosting um, young Nicolette. So mm. it's it's pretty grisly. Um, it, Clark Ashton like sort of describes some things, but he he leaves enough to imagination that you can kind of fill in what was going on without him being like utterly graphic. Um, so it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a yeah. good job, good job of that. Um, and then it kind of cuts to the next morning. Um, Renard wakes up and uh, he's 
he I think he and Nicolette are the only survivors um, in the tavern. Everyone else appears to have been slaughtered. Um, she's okay. not uh, doing so well because the it didn't it didn't describe it, but the satyr did stuff. I guess <laughs> it was mm. definitely accosting her. I think he was. Yeah. It was kind of. Yeah. She's kind of half crushed because I guess they are still stone, and it was embracing mm. her, and I think it just may have squeezed her too much. And yeah, you can't really get by being squished by a stone statue. No, so. no. But she's still alive. Um, <laughs> and uh, this this event, and I guess the the condition of um, his his uh, un unmet affections um has spurred renard to to do something about it he realized um at this point he had his suspicions um that maybe that these events were you know of his doing in some form and um he in his semi stupor um takes his hammer and tools up and climbs the cathedral tower mm. to undo uh, what we you know what he's wrought and um, he tries to dismantle the gargoyles, but they're still moving. Like, the daylight didn't Ooh. stop them from um, <clears throat> being alive, uh, in, in whatever sense of the word that may be. And um, he, he takes a swing at the satyr gargoyle and stumbles and almost falls off the tower and he gets caught um, by the other gargoyle kind of just grabs his shoulder um, mm. and so he's, he's left it's like <laughs> it sort of reminded me of um, the scene in Beauty and the Beast when uh, Gaston's like being held out over the, the edge of the <clears throat> yeah. cliff yeah. so he's just kind of <laughs> being held by this gargoyle and it's, it's claws are in his shoulder um, and he's he doesn't want to die, but he also like hates these gargoyles, so he takes a swing at it, mm. misses the face, yeah. and clips the elbow or the arm, and like crushes the arm that's holding him. So it just you know he falls and dies. Basically killed himself on accident. Um, yeah. But the uh, the archbishop that has come to um, check out what's going on at the town, uh, uh, the, the town since the church, uh, the cathedral was being attacked, they sent away for even stronger holy water. <laughs> um, <laughs> from the the, the, bigger, the bigger church, they were like, "We need More we need the big the, the big guns. Give us the super holy water. Um, Give us the Pope's bath water." Yeah, basically, they just wanted ultra blessing from the Archbishop. <laughs> um, but the Archbishop has arrived uh, just as um, Renard has fallen to his death, and mm. he since he was the one, I guess, that contracted Renard, um, he was f- fairly familiar with the gargoyles, and he sees you know Renard's kind of crushed body um but it still has the claw arm embedded in his shoulder and the, this this mm-hmm. is like taking the archbishop back uh, because he sees the arm and he's like that's not the um the pose it should be in like it's it was just in like a, a languid flexing pose but this is like a, a fierce gripping thing that, that he had not been carved into the um the gargoyle so I'm guessing he had them destroyed. It just it literally just ends. Um, so we're left with yeah. we're left with um, nothing but the hateful protagonist um, uh, being killed, and most mm. of the town still under the threat of the gargoyles. I, um, these aren't yeah, happy tales, um, and, no. and that's okay. <laughs> um, they didn't need to be, but it definitely was evocative, and uh, I really mm. got it like heavy. I think it's because it's the, the French countries. I don't know. It definitely felt very um, yeah blood uh, bloodbornean uh, or even oh, um, yeah, uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, mm. which again influenced Bloodborne anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <yeah. laughs> cool. That sounds like a pretty fun tale to read as well. Uh, I'll put it on the list. It was good, and it's short. It's um, uh, your time may vary. It's um, fifteen to thirty minutes to make it up as to read. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh well. Um, yeah, those are our experiences with three short tales by Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, I don't believe we have any feedback, any comments, or anything like that. 
Um, no, we do not. Uh, however, oh. this all of these works are in um, the public domain. Uh, you can purchase mm. collections of them um, through Amazon or, or Goodreads or other um, sellers. But there is a, um, a website, eldrickdark.com, which I'll link in the notes. And all these stories are available um, just for free to read and... I just from what I kind of skimmed, I would highly recommend um, any and all of these um, as as something mm, to pass yeah. the time. Um, will I think be returning to Mr. Clark Ashton um, in the future <laughs> uh, with with more of these tales because there's a lot of them. He's was quite prolific in his um, oh yeah writing. Yes, it's a very like it's a very long list. Fifty-five, <laughs> sixty stories. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that has been your wonderful dose of Monster Dear Monster for this week. Um, you can find the podcast on Twitter at mon underscore demonster. Uh, we usually post uh, a week, week, a uh, week or half a week at least in advance on what we'll be covering for the next episode. So, you know, follow us on Twitter. If you want to give us feedback, send us feedback. Please send us feedback. We're so lonely without it. Um, <laughs> You can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Um, Dave, where can we find you on the internet? I am also on Twitter at sentient underscore plus. That's pretty much the only place I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Leonard, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter as well at Dr. Faust is dead. You can also find me on YouTube at... (laughs) <laughs> www.youtube backslash Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, I, I, I made video content once. I, I, I might make video content again. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I survive, if I survived the release of this game, maybe a whole bunch of new stuff will start happening. <laughs> but for the moment, if you want to, if you want to see some old videos of me talking about video games and Dark Souls and Bloodborne, uh, you can, uh, follow, uh, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. And if you want to hear about what random whatever I'm rambling about, uh, follow me on Twitter. I talk about mm-hmm. stuff and retweet things. That's what you kids <laughs> like, right? Stuff Using and things. As intended. <laughs> stuff and things. 2020. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, that has been Monster Dear Monster. Thank you so very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye.